This is the Lean Discovery Applied Podcast with Clinton Sanko, Baker Donaldson's e-discovery officer. In season one of Sitting with the C-Suite, Clinton and guests will explore the e-discovery industry's past, present, and future, largely through the eyes of the executives responsible for the technology and services underlying virtually every e-discovery project. Hello, I'm Clinton Sanko, and welcome to the Lean Discovery Applied series, Sitting with the C-Suite, where we are committed to unraveling e-discovery one interview at a time. Today, we are joined by Ian Campbell, President and CEO of iConnect, a company he founded to help lawyers collaborate. Join me in welcoming Ian to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Ian, why don't we start with you telling our listeners a little bit about iConnect. And for those listeners who may be hearing of your company for the first time, it's actually spelled with, with one end if you're, if you're having to search for it. So walk us through the, the company and the services that you provide. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I, I think ultimately when people ask, you know, what does iConnect do, it's, it really is quite simple for us. You put all the information in one spot, build a big dictionary of every word in every document, and then hand out usernames and passwords to all the people who can come in and access that data. And so it really becomes multi-party access to confidential information. Um, the real kind of key area for that really has been legal. Um, you know, back in the day, as you're well aware, it was uh, a bunch of people sitting in a war room and, um, and sort of all sharing documents, uh, even back to, you know, paper and sticky notes and, uh, and a photocopier in the corner. And, um, you know, that all changed kind of around uh, 96, 97. A couple of companies came out who said, hey, if you give your documents to us, we'll, 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 go, and build, um, uh, we'll go and build a platform where you can get to them via the internet. And uh, that was a big deal back then. And um, but we've continued to grow. Um, you know, I think one, some of the unique things is that some of our clients like to have their stuff behind their own firewall, which we can do. And some of our clients like to have stuff up in a cloud because that's their, their, their mandate is to stay away from infrastructure, which we can do. And ultimately, we've been involved in some very, very interesting projects um, all the way back from uh, Enron uh, in the day, which was 53 million pages of information, through to the BP oil spill that was 14 billion pages of information. And uh, we kind of every, everything in between. So we, we, um, we, we've really uh, st- stuck to our, our foundation of multi-party access to confidential data. And let me let me start by uh, you know addressing the elephant in the room with regard to the pandemic. I mean, we've obviously just not living in very normal times. Your company obviously was created to help collaboration as you've just described, but how are you doing personally and professionally managing through these difficult times with remote work environments and uh, safety issues and and all that's implied with dealing with the pandemic? It's a great question, and and uh, it, interestingly enough, my last day in the office was St. Patrick's Day, and uh, I didn't go to an Irish pub on my way home and drink green beer. I went straight home and didn't leave. Uh, my brother at the time was living in Seattle, and Seattle got hit pretty hard um, in the early days, and um, I got kind of a bit of a shot over the bow from him in an email, and it was sort of a, huh, I'm, I'm not really thinking about this the same way he is. But uh, So we closed the office at that point in time, stayed closed for quite some time. We've got about 30% of our staff back again. Um, our main dev and support office is in Toronto. Uh, so from that perspective, we're, we're, we're uh, above the border, having better success in, in keeping our numbers down than, than some of the places in the US. But ultimately, um, our dev uh, folks uh, are already very savvy at uh, being able to work remotely. So, so that whole team has been home. Our support folks, to be frank, on the um, uh, to be quite transparent, they struggled a little bit, mainly because it's so synergistic between our support team. There's a lot of you know yelling over your desk with a hey Frank, how do we do that again? 
and um, uh, and answering uh, answering those questions for clients. And that became a little challenging trying to do that over Zoom. So our our whole support team is back now, and um, we've we have about thirty percent of our staff back. Um, on a personal note, I had a few um, family members who had left to move back home again because we have a pool and it's summer, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a more fun place to be. It's sort of like I've uh, been working from home. It's it's like having Ibiza in my backyard. Uh, you know, it, it, interesting enough, it, it's forced uh, it's forced us to kind of have a lot more family dinners and not have something to do every night. Kind of slow down a little bit and uh, and look at really what's important. So you know, I, I kind of refer to what's happening as the great pause. It just sort of like somebody took that VCR and kind of went, let's just pause that for a second. And I think when we come out of that, we're all going to have a fresh perspective. So I want to start at the beginning with you, Ian. As you as you come out of Fanshawe, you start in advertising. And and yeah. by the way, for anybody who's listening, there's a great bio of you uh, of your experience at Fanshawe and and your experience up till that point. It was written in 2011. So you, you come out and you go into advertising, and then you start selling computers to law firms, right? Yeah. Um, and so so partway through that, you you get the idea to found your own company, which was Interlaw Technology. Uh, which provided network and document management for law firms. So in the blog profile, you talk about why you founded that company in the, in the late 1990s, which arose out of a large case in Toronto uh, for Red Cross, and there were 18 law firms that needed to collaborate on managing 2 million documents. And you kind of hinted at this in your, in your first answer. So coming out of advertising and, and looking at this marketplace, this legal marketplace that needed collaboration, what, what did you do to help to solve that problem? Tell me about the, the, first, the first tool, what did it look like, and how did the yeah. lawyers yeah. adopt it and, and react to it? There's probably two interesting points that are missed out in, in your lead up to a question here. One of them is that I started a company six months before the world was going to end on December 31st, 1999, uh, which is probably not the best idea when you're starting a tech company. Um, the, the, the second thing was at the time I was a concordance trainer. And... Um, uh, living in Canada, we had a, we were actually the Canadian distributors for Concordance and also for LiveNote at the time, and I was doing a lot of Concordance training, uh, both uh, both in the U.S. and in Canada, and um, and what sort of came out of that was that a lot of people had Concordance. These were early days. Everybody either had Concordance or Summation, and um, uh, on the Concordance side, uh, there they, there was a company had started out in about '96 called K Central, and K Central was saying, "Hey, send all your stuff to us in San Francisco." And, um, and we'll, we'll look after it for you. And some people weren't really comfortable with that. We came along in 99 and went, well, you can actually just layer our stuff on top of Concordance and do it yourself. So the first version, version one of, of, of iConnect was actually a web front end for Concordance. And in fact, even in our logo, if you go back on uh, our old, old, old websites and brochures, it literally says powered by Concordance. So you were managing all your data inside Concordance and then you were simply layering us on top of your Concordance and we were displaying all that information through a web browser. So it was really quite unique at the time. And you are correct, the, the Red Cross came along, I was working on that case training concordance for them. And they literally said, uh, how do we get to this uh, information from 18 locations across the country? And my answer was, I don't know, leave it with me. And at the time you couldn't print through Citrix and terminal services wasn't very good. And uh, Concordance had a DLL, and my brother was a C++ programmer at uh, the University of Waterloo, which is kind of the MIT of Canada. And, um, and, um, and I gave it to him, and he phoned me up one day and said, hey, you know, hop on, your, hop on your computer and type in this IP address. I said, what am I looking at? And he goes, well, you're looking at my computer. And this was after my dial-up modem went off, of course. 
And, um, and uh, I, I said, what am I looking at? And he said, well, you're looking at my computer in Toronto. And I go ahead, do a search. And sure enough, through a web browser, I did a concordance search and got back a search result set. And it, I, the lights went on at that point. The very first version, I actually literally still have a, a backup of it on a floppy disk, um, uh, was cut and pasted versions of the concordance, lo concordance icons arranged in exactly the same way as concordance. So when you looked at uh, the iConnect platform, this was with Concordance's blessing at the time, um, the iConnect platform actually had the same buttons across the top, buttons across the bottom, the little stacking toy icon for the sort um, of the, all the things that people would fondly remember from the early uh, early 2000s. And uh, we, we effectively, uh, version one, we replicated the Concordance UI and uh, went to legal tech in, um, in 2000 with the first version, shared a trade show booth with Concordance and um and signed our first deal so it was uh it was a bit of a rocket ship when it started so this first version then is a web face interface for uh web-based interface for concordance that allowed that collaboration to happen so over the next over the next 10 years from that point forward uh, there's a lot of milestones and, and when i was uh, researching for today you guys have a great corporate timeline on your web page like it was a walk back in history to kind of walk through uh, your your development yeah. so by 2011 you have 40,000 end users and 64 employees so so you're sitting there at that point and around the same time iConnect introduces Xera, which is a document review platform that you wrote yourself, so no longer based on Concordance, and it's now the flagship product of iConnect. Sometimes, for those of us that watch the industry, it can get confusing. You know, iConnect is just the company, and Xera is the review platform that you that you developed. Tell us a little bit about the need at that point in time that you saw in the marketplace that said, you know what, let's go develop another review platform or a new review platform that solves that need. What, what did you see at that point? Well, there's a couple of different things. I mean, we were being asked a fair bit uh, for SQL backends and Oracle backends and things that weren't concordance. Uh, there were some limitations in the concordance DLL where we creatively wanted to do some things that we kind of needed them to do so we could layer on top of it. And they were going a different direction. They'd just been purchased by LexisNexis at that time. Um, the other thing that happened is that we were working uh, very closely with Lockheed Martin on a very large project. It was actually all of the FDIC banking investigations. So it was a bit of a perfect storm. I'm going to say kind of in a bad way, uh, a couple of years prior to 2011. What happened around 2008, 2009 is that we got this massive project with Lockheed Martin. Uh, they were going out to, uh, and you may recall, that was the banking crisis. Uh, about 900 odd banks went bankrupt. There were 19,700 bank branches for which data had to be collected. And so Lockheed had extraction teams that would go out into a bank. They would literally open the door, fire up the server, run some scripting, siphon out all the data, wipe the drives and hand the key back to the landlord times 19,700. And they were coming back to Rockville, Maryland every day with 7 million of this and 8 million of that loading, loading, loading. And to be frank, um, we'd never been built for that kind of scale. And uh, we had to do a lot of, uh, lot of work in order to make sure backups were running properly, data was loading properly, and that users weren't tripping over the backups as, as they were continuing to flow in. By the time we were done, we had 1.6 petabytes of data, uh, 44 billion pages of information in one single system. So we, we had to do a lot of work. And during that time, all that work, unfortunately, was in the back end. It was all back end stuff, backups, optimizations, memory handling, all that stuff that the users never saw. 
And around the same time, we started to see others come into the market, folks like Relativity, for example, who came along and to be frank, didn't have a strong backend, but it was drag and drop. It looked like Outlook. Um, anybody can use it. And we, we had an interface that we developed in 2004. So we started to get um, requests for an interface that was a little more friendly for end users. The other thing that happened around the same time is that we've absolutely seen a migration within law firms specifically in and around the decision makers. It, when we first started, it was accounting made the decision. Why? Because accounting was the first department in a law firm that actually got automation. And, um, and so what we found was a lot of the old directors of accounting became the directors of productivity and, and that migrated over to IT when it got really complicated. And all of a sudden you had web-based access coming in. But in and around that time frame, we found that the new, the new techie attorney, people like yourselves were coming into the room and going, I saw this really cool tech that does X. I, I was on the internet and I saw this other thing. I watched a webinar. And so what we started to see was that the, the technology leaders like yourselves were really taking um, a, a leading role in the decision-making process within the firm. Accounting was now out of it. IT had a secondary voice and the decisions were now starting to be made by the people who were actually using the software and looking for features and functionality. And um, so to be frank, the version we had at the time didn't meet the bill. And um, so we actually hired a company uh, to uh, look at various personas who actually used the software. We looked over the shoulder of users. We looked at what, um, uh, what buttons they were clicking on, what buttons they were not clicking on. And we actually developed an entire wireframe for the platform and that ultimately became Xero launched in 2012. So you launched Xera in 2012, and at that point, you were the chief business development officer, but you had operational control, among other things, on the product lifecycle development as well as on the legal service provider and partner relations yeah, in that role. Yeah. So you take over as CEO in 2014, a couple of years after Xera launches. As you look back on that time period, the company already had accomplished a lot. What was your vision for the, for the years that would follow under the, the leadership of you as CEO, what were the key value agenda points that you were pushing forward? Well, you know, I think one of them was definitely innovation. I, I had always believed that um, our job was not to do what the clients asked for, but it was to look over the horizon at what they're going to be asking for a year down the road. And um, with my um, artistic background and uh, my sort of ergonomic background and really understanding workflow, having been a trainer, I had a, a good indication of what those, those workflows needed to be. And um, so we spent a, a lot of time in and around that around that that time frame, really looking at innovation and identifying. Here's kind of 20 really cool things we could do that nobody is asking for. Thumbnail mode is a perfect example of that. Um, it was something that we went, you know, if we did that, that would make it way easier to do um, it to find inappropriate conduct. It would make it way easier to immediately eliminate. Um, marketing brochures from a document review, e very easy to find uh, emails uh, uh, amongst a bunch of other correspondence. So things like that were really key. The second thing though, was we found that um, not just legal was having a problem with big data, volume, searching, data retention, privacy, uh, and uh, people outside of legal were having exactly the same business issues. And that was really important to me, I think, so that the two sort of key answers there, one is we wanted to stick to our knitting on innovation. We knew that was going to be key to our long-term success. We always need to be looking over the horizon, not, not under the horizon. And then second of all, to look for ways to leverage our platform outside of just legal. We felt that would, um, first of all, give us some, a wealth of experience, but also 
um, start to open up all other revenue opportunities for the company as we continue to grow. Unpack for us a little bit what opportunities you see outside of legal where your tool really does a good job and really excels. Sure. Um, first one I'll say um, video, uh, police body cameras, CCTV video, uh, smartphone video that, that, that we're seeing all the time. And um, the aggregation of that content, the searching of that content, the, the inclusion of that content in an evidence bundle is, is really hard to do. However, it's exactly the same problem we have. Put everything in one spot, build a big dictionary of everything in every document, identify the ones that tell your story and tell your story. So we actually uh, did a strategic work, a, a project with uh, one of the largest electronic companies in the world who have a police body camera division. And uh, we actually uh, white labeled our platform to them. They launched their new version last August and their new version of their platform is actually the iConnect platform with their name on it. Um, I can't tell you who that is, but uh, it, it, it wouldn't take hard to guess. The other thing we, um, we've done is one of the world's largest casinos um, said, wait a minute, we've identified that nine times out of 10, when an incident happens at one of our casinos, it's an inside job. And we know there's lots of chatter on email and WhatsApp and, and uh, the text messaging and Instagram chat and messaging. We would like to take when an employee leaves, we want to grab everything off their smartphone and we want to grab all their email and just put it in an archive, just leave it there. So when something happens in the Franklin room four years from now, we can just do that quickly, go back and search every email from every employee ever who's left from that point to, the, to now for anything related to the Franklin room. And that's the thread they start to pull on. It's been so successful for them um, in, uh, in deterring um, uh, activity within the casino, negative activity in the casino, that they've actually now got a second system in Macau and a third system in Singapore. So that's another area. Again, think about it. Confidential data, all in one spot, secured access to be able to search, sort, organize, print, report. Um, so to go from there, uh, forms management in the insurance game, um, aggregation of content through a public portal for an MDL, uh, where somebody whose hair turns green can take a picture of their hair turning green, fill in the form, upload the picture, and now they're part of the MDL. Um, through to uh, M&A transactions, which is a, a way, of course, the um, Imagine you're going to go buy a, an apartment building and now you've got 400 leases you have to deal with. How do you analyze 400 leases? This guy's got a strange move in date. This guy's got a strange deposit clause. This guy's got a lifetime such and such. This guy has nine parking spots. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that without reading 400 leases, you want to be able to find. And we've got the ability with our search technology and our AI technology to siphon through that stuff literally in seconds and find the anomalies in that information. So that's just sort of four examples of ways that we've been able to uh, leverage our tech outside of legal and just get tremendous response back from the end of those industries. There, there was one, Ian, that I, there was a little gem on your website that I had to kind of dig to find, but I did note that you uh, recently were involved in uh, the creation of a public access archive for 30,000 JFK document and audio files released by the yeah. CIA. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that project and what, the, what, what, was the, what was the purpose behind that and how you came to create that. Yeah, so um, I, I had heard the documents were going to be released, and I knew some people at National Archives, and and um, and they said, yeah, they're going to be released, but they're they're going to be non-searchable PDFs. And um, I was sort of like, well, that doesn't really help anybody, you know. And um, and there's thirty thousand of them, so uh, you and I, as a sort of uh, you know Joe consumer, means that we have to go to the National Archives site, double click on an icon, and open up one document 
um, in, uh, in non-searchable format. Some of these documents were 350 pages. And, um, but you gotta, you gotta open up and read it. And uh, we kind of looked at it and went, wait a minute, we, if we download that archive, which was relatively easy to do, um, and, um, uh, and actually literally just ran it through iConnect as if it was a 30,000 PDF import job, we scanned it, imaged it, OCR'd it, um, uh, extracted, there was actually a metadata file that came along with it. So we actually uh, did match masking on the metadata. There was about 20 fields of metadata for each record. And uh, we dropped it into iConnect. And then we thought, well, okay, what do we do with this? Because this is a great demo database for us with clients. But wait a minute, if we go and just put a public front end on this thing, we could actually make it available to the public. And it was fantastic. Uh, we had uh, up to about 1,200 users at one point in time who were in there poking away at it. And um, we actually, uh, the other nice thing was that when we launched it, we were able to sort of work through some different personas. Um, we, we stripped the application of almost all features such that all you could do was log in search and that's it. You couldn't tag records, you couldn't print, you couldn't do anything. Um, and then we said, hey, if you fill in this survey, we'll actually give you now the ability to create your own tags. And hey, we'll also let you print. And uh, we'll also let you uh, highlight some documents. And uh, so we did that. And so we, uh, we put out sort of a, you know, how easy is it to get up an iConnect? And did you like this? And did you like that? So it was a great way to get, um, get public feedback on that. Um, is the, 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 the traffic has kind of wound down a bit on that now. But um, uh, certainly at the time, it was very interesting to the public, and we got a lot, a lot of attention. That actually is the perfect segue, Ian, into another question I had for you. In a 2019 interview with Superb Crew, you noted that, uh, quote, the key to the platform, referring obviously to Xera, is the intuitive nature of the interface, allowing users to get up and running quickly and efficiently without extensive training. iConnect uh, achieves this by creating an interface which is in sync with social media and email tools that they use in their everyday life. And you've mentioned several times personas, users. In the context of e-discovery specifically, it does tend to be a team of teams. You have trial lawyers, you have e-discovery lawyers, you have lit support professionals, in-house counsel. Yeah. You have this whole range of users that are possible. So how do you go about designing your platform to make that ease of use available to everybody on that spectrum that may have different needs and maybe different personas as they're approaching the database and the data and the images themselves? Yeah, you can throw experts on top of that one as well, because uh, sometimes you've got people who are coming, and in, even in some cases, opposing counsel. Um, you know, we've, we've had uh, the variety of different uh, security layers that we've, we've had to layer in. We can uh, cut the data by, um, by field. We can cut the data by, um, uh, by, uh, the, by folder. So, you, for example, you can only see the confidential documents, but you can't see the rest of the, the collection or I can only expose a, a subset of documents for the expert to review, where that's, that's their whole world. There might be a million documents there, but they, they can only see 300 of them. Uh, but beyond that, from a features and functions perspective, you probably don't want to expose delete database to a novice user. So again, uh, virtually every, every icon and every function in the platform can also be um, uh, cut back um, or, or added based on your user profile. One of, the, one of the unique things we did was a dashboard. So we have sort of a dashboard overview. And we find the dashboard is perfect for personas because if you're um, a reviewer, you go in, you select a batch, and you go. 
and that's your world. And maybe on that dashboard, there was an instructional video. Maybe there's a way for you to download the coding manual. Uh, maybe there's a little notes area for a, hey, everybody be aware. We found a batch of documents with Spanish text on it. If you find one, put it in this folder. Just kind of instructions um, for, for the review team versus a PM who needs to monitor um, how much PII is being found in documents, what the productivity metrics are, are and, and some various things in around maybe importing or exporting or setting up productions. So when they go to the dashboard, they, they only see the production tile or the reports tile or the status tile. And then you've got someone like an attorney, perhaps like yourself, and I think you probably get your hands dirty a, a little bit more than most. Now, a lot of the attorneys, they have one question. How's it going? That's it. That's their only question. And all they want is a pie chart. Okay, we're 40% done. Good. That's all I need to see. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, and, and they want to be hands off. And I think, um, so what we've done um, is we've gone and created security layers within the platform, either to cut the data, cut the exposure, um, cut the features and functionality. A perfect example of that that sort of crosses over to an early conversation about the police body cameras is if a police body camera uh, gets uploaded, a video gets uploaded, and it contains minors. We have the ability in the platform to take that minors tag and lock security. So nobody can get to that video. They can't look at the video until it's been sent out for redaction, comes back in from redaction. We go and suppress the original video, replace that with the new redacted video and change the security settings. So now an investigation can continue. And that's a perfect example of um, having been in this business for a while, uh, you, you, un you see these, uh, these sort of nuances in workflow that are very important uh, w w when people need them. Uh, we're also working right now with um, the University of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, we actually, they're even doing a pro bono project right now with video. Uh, they had about 120 hours of video from some of the protests that took place in, in the summer of 2020. And um, uh, they had a bit of a flashpoint. They have the statue of General Robert E. Lee in their rotunda. And um, for some people, that's great. And for some people, that's not so great. So it became a flashpoint for the community. And um, uh, there was a lot of video taken and a lot of inappropriate conduct recorded. And so they are now going through that video. They're tagging spots in video. They're, they're putting different categories on things, things which should be prosecuted, things that shouldn't be prosecuted. And um, it, it's been a great experience for them. So I think um, being able to be sort of uh, identify what the needs are of the client, like building Lego, it's sort of, uh, you know, the, this, this person needs these pieces versus this person needs these pieces. And we've gone and developed the platform in such a way that you can replicate your workflow. Nobody's ever going to come along to a, a law firm and go, scrap what you're doing, do it the iConnect way. What we're going to do is say, hey, here's a toolkit. How can we recreate and optimize uh, and add efficiencies to your current workflow? That's really, um, you know, when you, you think back to one of the things we're, that's foundational for us, that, that, really, that really is one of them. I want to take a, a bit of a detour into information governance land for a minute as we talk through this. And that, that obviously, for somebody that's been in the industry as long as you, uh, that's been a topic of conversation almost as long as I can frankly remember. In a video interview that you did in 2018, you were talking about information governance in the specific context of when an employee leaves the company and the data that they're stranding, their email account, their smartphone, their file share that may live on a network, and how companies were dealing with that from a business intelligence, uh, compliance, and, and also obviously if anything uh, were to come up in terms of uh, litigation later in your casino context fits in that. 
uh, as well. As we sit here in 2020, what are you seeing as the key compliance issues uh, that corporations are, are needing uh, help in attacking and managing, particularly as it relates to information governance and outside the e-discovery context? Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of acronyms out there for that now. You know, you got DSAR, GDPR, CCPA, I think um, IG or information governance is sort of an umbrella that sits there, sits on top of a, of a lot of different things. I think one of the challenges that, that corporations have is that they have a lot of data. Um, we're actually involved in, uh, in a project right now. Uh, this firm has over 200,000 uh, employees. And um, they, they have every email ever sent or received ever by every employee ever. And um, so they're, they're well over 2 billion um, on, on the number of emails they have. They've never really adopted a, a, a data retention policy. And, um, and I think a lot of firms, perhaps to a smaller scale, are running into the issue. They, they don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they have. And, and some of that's dangerous, especially with GDPR and, and, and some of the stuff happening in the European Union, and it's all moving in this direction. And I think in five, five years from now, it's going to be even bigger. Five years from five years ago, uh, we kind of knew it was there, but it wasn't really accumulating at the same exponential rate that it is now. But now it's, it's just becoming overwhelming for folks. And I think um, we're seeing more and more Iron Mountain uses a term in some of their marketing material called a data lake. I think it's a great term. Because imagine, if you will, you've got stuff in SharePoint, stuff in Exchange Server, stuff in Office 365, stuff in Dropbox. It's just a big lake of data. And not all of it's relevant. Some of it's just kind of stuff. But if you get sued for uh, the elevators in Terminal 3 from that construction job that was done in 2011, you got a pretty good idea what you're looking for. 2011, these, these five engineers, anything in Terminal 3, anything related to any of these four or five contractors, go. And if you can go and scan all that information and go and bring back only, not the 2 billion, but only the 15,000 documents that meet those search criteria, drop that into the iConnect platform and now do, now do your project, that's very, very valuable for people. Uh, so I, I think on sort of on two fronts, I think uh, the, that, that way of looking at the world, that you don't have to scan everything, you don't have to... You don't have to um, uh, make everything readily available, and you don't have to hold on to everything. I mean, I, I think uh, every, everyone on the on the uh, call today would would realize that you know things have a things have a life, and if you can show a, a defensible um, retention policy that you've always gotten rid of stuff after five years, or you've always gotten rid of stuff out of four years, and nobody's ever going to come along and go, hey, why didn't you keep that from twelve years ago? Um, so I, I think there's uh, more and more defenses coming up around that. But the other area in information governance is the privacy issue. And I think uh, more and more we're, we're uh, seeing and going to continue to see the identification of personal information in uh, documents. You talk about all those documents that come in from all those diverse data points, and now you've got the 30,000. First thing you should probably do in that 30,000 is figure out what you got. Are there any visa cards in it? Are there any driver's license numbers? Are there any insurance information? Is, is, is there any, um, are, are there any dates? Are there any city names? I mean, different things that at some point in time might cause a hiccup. And we've got some unique technology to be able to help siphon through that inbound data and sort of organize it and identify anything that might be a problem so you can decide what to do with it. And, uh, and I think that's key is being able to uh, control that data uh, in a world where, it, it, in some cases, it's very uncontrolled.
So, Ian, we're sitting here in early September 2020, and at some point in the last week, my wife and I had the realization that we're six months into this COVID pandemic. Over those last six months, have, have you seen a deceleration or an acceleration in terms of uh, particular compliance issues with regard to information governance that are becoming more or less prevalent or more or less emergent based upon the COVID pandemic? I would say uh, no in the past six months, but I would. Um, I was on a call with. Um, I'm on the global advisory committee for EDRM, and everybody uh, is quite convinced that starting right about now, um, we are going to start to see uh, bankruptcies, mergers, um, uh, uh, the the availability of health accurate healthcare information, uh, insurance claims, um, uh, it. Uh, HR claims uh, for, for back to school, back to work, um, and all of that's going to become an issue. Um, and all of that contains sensitive information, especially the healthcare data, um, especially the banking data. And um, so as we move forward, I think it's going to become more and more important to be able to, uh, there's sort of two terms that, that we're hearing that we've heard in the last six months, uh, not necessarily uh, resulting in business, but the terms being sanitized and obfuscate. Um, you know, if I go and say, hey, here's my medical records, um, they sure as hell better not contain my my social and my uh, my Cobra number and my uh, and my email address and my phone number and my kids names. And, um, and and I think we're all we all have this expectation that as uh, some of this information is traveling from uh, from source to source, that it's that's not out there in the wild. And um so I think the ability to sort of sanitize data or obfuscate data as it moves around in the medical area, they have a protocol called HL7. So as information moves from server to server within a hospital, there's a, an encryption protocol to make sure that, it, that it's all being transferred without the ability to be leaked. But when it goes outside of the hospital, for example, into a, into a law firm and um, it with, with some kind of a subpoena, a subpoena or, or, um, or a production response, uh, I think that's where it gets um, a little awkward for people, and I think they they need to be very conscious of what information they have and what information they're sharing. Even from an M and A perspective, if you're about to um, uh, maybe acquire a company, you want to know what kind of risk you're about to acquire, and uh, the ability to kind of go through some of that data very quickly, actually, and do a search term report looking for credit card information. It's not that hard to do. Um, but knowing that risk maybe gives you a stronger negotiating position as you move forward, move forward with that project. Ian, in preparing for today, one of the things I always like to do is to go back to my personal memories of a product. And my very first memory that I have of iConnect goes back to that, you know, early 2010s time period. And I was at Legal Tech, and I remember standing in your booth and looking at your product, maybe not for the first time, but, you know, we were, we were talking through with a couple of the salespeople and uh, getting shown the iPad compatibility and 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 yeah, I, I had this sure. I may be wrong about this but I do remember it being distinctly purple purple at the time like your branding yeah, um, and yeah. the booth the booth right. was was very purple um, and, and you know I thought you know it's easy from us from the outside to have impressions of products whether it's a good experience a bad experience a limited experience it's very easy for sure. a consumer to have an impression of a product based on a moment in time but you you know sitting there as somebody who's lived through the development cycle of Xera and all of the pains of that of that process of getting to where you are today. So I want to set aside version 10 for a second because we're going to get. I have a question about version 10. But setting aside version 10, what 
what stands out to you as something that you're particularly proud of that's kind of emblematic of your devotion to the customer, your devotion to solving their problems? What stands out in your development history to you as something that this, I'm really proud that we did this and we were early to market on this and this really, this really signifies who we are? I think uh, one of the interesting things that we did, and I talked about this earlier, was our dashboard. Our dashboard was something that allowed us to create a world for each of the personas. The other thing that we did sort of layered on top of that is that we did customized uh, skinning for law firms. So for example, your law firm, you can have your logo, your graphics, and your color scheme on our platform. And all we have is a little powered by iConnect down across the bottom. Um, the rest of it is yours. So it feels like your portal. We did that as well in our most recent version. Uh, we have uh, what we call multi-tenancy. So that a single server could have 10, 20, 30 different, uh, let's say, law firms on it, each of which have their own persona, um, with their own graphics, their own colors, their own logos, but they're all running on a single server. And um, so I think that sort of customization, and then I'll layer on top of that our multi-language capability. When we did, uh, in 2012, when we did the Xero platform, we came up with kind of a cool idea at the time, which was instead of writing all the HTML with English, let's go and write all of the English language with nothing more than ID numbers. And then if you think about it, we have this big massive Excel spreadsheet and it's got a column for English and a column for Mandarin and a column for Spanish and a column for French. So that when the HTML5 comes up to be rendered, we go, oh, um, uh, Clinton wants French. Let's go grab all the pieces from this page from the French column and give him this page in French. Now we're not affecting the data, but what we are doing is all of the next cancel previous, um, you know, add to a folder, all of that is in your language of choice. So um, we have continued to add um, uh, different languages. We added Russian recently for a, for a big job. Uh, we've uh, we've uh, got a big Mandarin project going on right now. So, uh, so we've continued to add languages to that. So I think ultimately being able to create kind of a customized experience for the user. We, we've never really had a boxed software. And I think the ability for, for a firm to adopt our platform as a component of their IT infrastructure, as a component of their offering to their client, um, in the language of choice, with the graphics of choice, with, with the personas of choice, um, really um, it, it's not a one size fits all. We've gone and as I mentioned before, Lego blocks, we've gone and put all the sort of underlying architecture and te technology in place. And now we give firms the ability to make it their own. And I think that's probably something I'm very, very proud of. Um, the, the, the fact that we, we haven't, we've kind of kept our ego in the background and let you guys talk about the cool software you have. Oh, by the way, it's iConnect, as opposed to we're, you know, we're using iConnect. And I, I think that's something that, that's been important for us. Version 10 of your tool was announced in January of 2020, and it yeah. boasts a lot of improvements. You have speed with better browser technologies. You have your cover C-O-V-E-R mass tagging redaction capabilities, which you've hinted at uh, in the context of the video uh, example that you gave earlier. You have, now you have continuous active learning and flexible deployment and other features. What was it about this release in terms of its value proposition and its overall functionality that makes this a, a, an improvement for law firms and legal departments that are using it? Yeah, you know, I, th I think one of the key things was that um, uh, Xero had come out in 2012, which was eight years ago. And um, eight years ago, we, we didn't have smartphones that were doing the kind of things that smartphones phones are doing now. Um, and I'll give you a, a perfect example. 
is that there was a time, and you may remember this, that when you had a, an HTML page that was sort of, you know, really, really long, four feet deep, a big, big column of text, and you could only see that much of it. In the background, the, the HTML actually had to sort of render all of it, and then it was like, oh, here you go. And that's why you used to see the spinning icon and stuff showing up line by line or however it was. And, um, but when you, go, you now go on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you scroll down, you think you're at the bottom, but you're not. Spin, spin, spin. Oh, here's more. Spin, spin, spin. Oh, here's more. And that's called lazy loading. That's a technology that was actually developed by Facebook and, um, uh, and was then released out into the wild um, as an open source pro project. And we adopted that on our table view. So now gone are the days of you can only look at 20, 20 uh, rows at a time. You can now look at a thousand rows, but we'll serve them up to you um, in the same way that Facebook goes in and, and, and gives you your newsfeed. So that's a perfect example of a piece of modern technology that in the older version of the platform, we just hadn't, it just didn't exist back in 2012. I think it came out around 17 or 18. We thought, oh, we can actually use that over here in eDiscovery. And I think there was a lot of, um, beyond the cool things we did with V10, um, things, the uh, enhancing all the drag and drop and, and um, adding cover, which of course now allows you to search for PII, auto folder PII, auto redact PII, all the self-serve pieces where you literally can take a PST, drag it onto an icon, magic happens, and you've got 4,000 documents in your database with thumbnails and you're off to review within minutes. Um, you know, th those are the kind of things that you're seeing in some of the tools that are out there that are SaaS only. Um, uh, you know, some of the ones where you can't buy it from behind your firewall. Um, you can only use it in a SaaS environment. So we've tried to take the best of that world along with the, uh, the foundational features of the platform and sort of blend them together such that you do get the ability to have, if you want it on cloud, great, put it on cloud. If you want it on um, behind your firewall, you can do that too. But ultimately, there was some stuff down there that was behind the, the curtain. A lot of optimizations, feeds and speeds is what it used to be referred to in the photocopy world. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, make it faster, smarter, stronger, but none of those were seen by the end user. It just means it's better architecturally. It's using better technologies in the back end. And then the other items that you've mentioned, uh, oversight, cover, cal, a lot of the, uh, the, the changes we made to the UI with things like lazy loading. We also did a lot of work on productions. We've had uh, a number of clients come over from competitive tools like relativity and law. And first thing they have is their sort of five favorite features um, that they want to make sure that we can replicate for them. And um, uh, they, would, they, want, they want those workflows uh, to be consistent with the way they used to do it. And uh, so we've done a ton of work on the production side. We've had probably four or five production bills in the past year and a half, um, each one adding another 10 or 12 features, things like slip sheets and you know, uh, redacting Excel spreadsheets and everything you can think of in between that has really, really enhanced that area. So I think V10 is a, a combination of two areas. It's the, uh, the eye candy features that uh, the, the user experiences, and then a lot of under the hood work. On iConnect's website, you guys have a page entitled, quote, five reasons to consider iConnect. And you sure. set out the top five reasons, some of which you've hinted at in today's program, of why folks should switch and consider making a technology switch. If you were sitting down with an in-house counsel or a general counsel in charge of litigation, and they were to say to you, hey, look, Ian, we've had X technology for some period of time, and we've built up workflows. Let's say we even like your tool better than X technology. There, There is transition fatigue. There's transition 
tensions that come when I have to switch my outside counsel to a different tool and my in-house teams to a different tool. What would you say to help them understand how to best overcome those transition tensions uh, as they look at, at new technology that they might want to move to? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. We actually recently did a project internally because we were getting that as far as sort of pushback in, in our sales channel. Uh, we did an entire ad campaign in and around, uh, you know more than you think. I think, um, I think people underestimate the foundational knowledge that they have in e-discovery. Uh, the fact that we all understand if I click, uh, the, the, if I click that icon, I get a, a picture of the document. And if I go and draw a box on top of something, it becomes a redaction. I think uh, we've gone and created a series of actual uh, documents that are on our website in, um, on the resources page where people can go, hey, here's how you go and create a new case in this application, and here's how you create a case in iConnect. Oh, look, it's the same. Um, it just so happens that instead of being a, a, an orange button in the bottom left, it's a purple button in the top right. Other than that, it does exactly the same stuff. You're still entering the same information. So I, we've actually done a fair, a fair bit of work in and around that. The one thing I would say, though, as well, we talked about the intuitive interface before, and um, and I'm going to go back to the back to the smartphone again. It's really quite amazing to me when people go and and see something like this and all those icons. And for the most part, I could open up any one of those and kind of navigate my way around. I'm in in awe of the millennials out there who can take any one of the uh, of these and just start clicking it, and there's no intimidation factor whatsoever. There's probably an app on here that I could download that will teach me how to do brain surgery. And within 20 minutes, I'll just figure it out. And um, so I think the fact that people understand what a, what a gear icon is for, you know, settings, and what, a, what the little share icon does, and the little download arrow, and the little tray. And um, I think um, we've adopted a lot of that within the platform. I, I joke around when I do demos about, so if I were to ask you, where's your logout in LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, or Twitter, you go, oh, I click on my name and that's where my logout is. Yeah, it's exactly the same place in iConnect. And I think it's those kind of things that I think um, we continue to focus on to make that user experience and that ease of transition. And now we've gone and put together some marketing materials that actually um, uh, reinforce that and actually get into the weeds of just how easy it is to add a new user, create a new case, you know, add a tag to a document. So Ian, I have I have three questions that I like to ask all my guests, and the first one is, who is a business leader that you admire, and what are the particular qualities about that business leader that you admire? Uh, it, it's a name your your uh, your viewers probably don't know. His name is Russell Brunson, and Russell Brunson, the young guy, um, uh, he's gone and developed a thing called a click funnel. If you uh, go on a lot of different websites, when you you get that, hey, buy now and you sort of click that, you actually launch into a Russell Brunson click funnel. And it's a bit of a methodology of tell us what your product does, tell us the problem that it solves, um, give us some, some reviews of people who have used it and had success, get, make me feel special and give me an offer that others aren't gonna get because I'm the guy who actually clicked this ad. Um, it's quite formulaic. And he's done a number of different things where he's gone and taken these sort of formulaic marketing and sales ideas and he has just done that, he's productized them. And then he's shown people how you can apply that to different technologies. And doesn't that sound familiar? So we've gone and taken the iConnect platform and productized it. And, um, and now we look for different industries to, um, to, to go and apply that to. So I'm very, um, I'm very impressed with him. I actually follow him a lot and uh, he's, he's written a couple of books in and around 
the sales process and the uh, the sales funnel. And uh, he's built quite a business for himself and um, good on him. And we'll be excited to see where he goes from here. So what's the last podcast that you listen to, even if it's a guilty pleasure? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, actually, your, your audience probably doesn't know I, I write uh, screenplays, uh, movie screenplays in my spare time. I'm working on a, on a couple of different films right now. Um, and uh, one of them involves uh, a band, uh, probably one of the most notable bands in the world. And, um, and I actually wrote, I can't tell you who it is. Unfortunately, I'm under NDA, but it's probably one of the most popular bands ever in the world, ever. And, um, uh, and it was a podcast in and around kind of the making of one of their albums. The, the one movie I've, I've gone and written the script for, it's about a 120 page script. We've got uh, the, 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 the funding on it and we're waiting for the music rights. So at, uh, it will be right up there with Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man if, if we ever get it off the ground. So we're, uh, we're moving forward with that one. And it was actually a podcast in and around kind of uh, uh, things you didn't know. So. What was the last book you read, fiction or nonfiction, that you would recommend to our listeners since you just couldn't put it down? Uh, I, I would say go read Ready Player One. Uh, Spielberg made a movie out of it. Um, and, uh, the movie was okay. The book was unbelievable. And, um, and if, and it's now becoming real, which is really interesting. Um, some of your users, uh, your, your viewers may not have, have recognized, maybe their kids did that Travis Scott, the rapper released a new album. He didn't release it on YouTube or on, you know, MTV. He released it as a level inside the game Fortnite. So anybody who's a Fortnite player, 250 million people worldwide could go to a special level and they could watch Travis Scott release the new songs from his album. Really interesting stuff because um, uh, he was in a green room with all the dots all over him doing, uh, you know, dancing and singing. But in the video game, he was a character in the video game. And you as being in the video game, were at a live concert seeing brand new music and you could walk on the stage. You could go up in the clouds and look down on the stage. It was incredible. And if, if you haven't watched it, Go on YouTube and look up Travis Scott Fortnite. It's about an eight or 10 minute video. Unbelievable. And uh, I think we're going to start to see an absolute synergy of music and movies and gaming and, um, and virtual reality. I think it's going to be a very exciting time looking over the horizon. Uh, probably throw cryptocurrency in there at the same time to handle all the debits and credits of all the transactions. But uh, I think as those technologies start to come together, it's going to be interesting times ahead. Well, Ian, I really appreciate you being on the show today. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for coming. Great. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's always fun to talk about where we've been and where we're going. Thanks for joining us on the Lean Discovery Applied Podcast, Season 1, Sitting with the C-Suite. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. You can also visit us online at www.leandiscoveryblog.com, where we have additional content and videos of the interviews. Lean Discovery Applied is hosted by Clinton Sanko, eDiscovery Officer of Baker Donaldson. This program is not intended as an endorsement and does not constitute legal advice. Thanks to Baker Donaldson, a leader in innovative legal services, for supporting this podcast. To the guests and to you, the listener. See you next time.